When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider. Matthew Collar and Sam Ekstrom here. And joining me, one of the great running backs in Green Bay Packers history to break down Vikings, Packers, and maybe we could talk even a little Batman as well. I'm on green, a four-time Pro Bowler for the Green Bay Packers, and one of the greats of what I would like to call I'm on the running back era in the NFL, where running backs were great back in the day. How are you, man? I'm doing good. You're right. I mean, it was not that we were great. We just played the whole game. It wasn't a running back by committee. And defenses feared us because they knew if we got in rhythm, it was going to be a long game. And I remembered some quarter, some linebackers telling me that like, man, we thought we hurt you. Man, we thought we were, we, we were out the game. Like, I remember <laughs> it was my second year here in Green Bay, and which is, this is where I still live now. And we played against the Bears down at Soldier Fields. My, uh, actually, you know, it was my first season there. And I, twi- I sprained my knee in preseason. And in that game, I re-sprained it. And it was like week 10, week 12. It was late, late in the season. And I remember my old college teammate, Mike Brown, who was a strong safety for them, he says, like he t- I come back in the game with the knee brace on. I'm running the ball, picking up, you know, yards. And he's like, dude, man, we thought we got you out the game, man. <laughs> he's like, you back? I'm like, yeah. I was like, it's just a little knee sprain. I could play with a knee sprain. Ain't that. It's, it's MCL. It's good. It's good to go. You know, so, yeah, it's just we're, and we're built differently physically and mentally, too. It's stuff that I played with that guys don't play with today. High ankle sprains, I played with, like, four of those. You know, it just take tape. Just give me a better tape job. That's all I would say to my trainer. So yeah, it was uh, it's, it's that type of mindset that we had for all of us. Myself, Priest Holmes, um, Jamal Lewis, Marshall Falk. You know, that was some of the guys during my time that we all we all toted the rock for our teams uh, and did our job. Amon, I've I've got a question stemming off of that. You obviously played on a Brett Favre led Packers team, and he is sort of the quintessential football player that played through injury. Yes. Do you think that mindset sort of spread around the team and enabled you to tough things out because he was able to play through so much? Um, I think, yeah. I say for one, I mean, I, I, I say be honest with myself, I did it at Nebraska. I remember having a, a slight shoulder separation early in my junior year. Uh, and we had, I did it at the end of the Washington game up in, New, uh, we played the Huskies up in, up in Seattle. And then the next game I had to play, I just put on the, I iced it and did all the rehab all week long. So I, I kind of knew that mindset. So coming to Green Bay to see him do it was like, this is a tough dude. This is what – he's everything I thought I heard of when I was in college and before I got to Green Bay because everybody, man, he's tough as nails. He throws the ball hard. He's a good teammate. I heard all of that. And, you know, obviously Super Bowl champion MVP. I've seen and heard all that because I was a Green Bay fan 
I followed them. I watched the Super Bowl when I was in college, when they uh, when they beat the Patriots. So when I got there, it was like, it, it's the truth. I was like, he plays through injuries. He's a good teammate. He has a he's a got a, a country strong arm. You know, he could throw the ball very hard. And thank God I was a running back, so I didn't have to worry about catching his uh, 120 mile per hour fastball, uh, beating the coverage throws. So I didn't have to worry about that. So it was good that I was a running back. I catch a little five yard screen pass here and there, little dump, little little dump passes. So I, my fingers, even though you know, they're a little beat up, you know, but they they survived the those years with, with Brett. Well, I, since we're on Brett Favre, I mean, this is a, a topic of great fascination for Vikings fans. I'm on, uh, right. uh, you know, he was, I thought he was always a master of the check down. Like he would understand that defenses were dropping back because of his arm and mm-hmm. uh, you know, Edgar Bennett's and Dorsey Levins and yourself and William Henderson, like all those guys ended up with tons of catches and big yards. Cause I thought he was really clever um, about that, but how did you feel when Brett Favre joined the Minnesota Vikings? Um, I was, um, I believe I was a Texan then, or I just got released by the Texans. I was, what, 09? Because he went to the Jets first. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was 2009. And uh, even when he left as a, as, a, as a Jet, it was like, as a player, you kind of knew in the back of your head eventually, you know, obviously he was coming to an end. He just didn't know when. You figure he'll play a long time. And but then when a Viking happened, I just knew this from like from men, like I know Packer fans, I know Viking fans. I'm like, ooh, I like this is about to get ugly in the stands. I was like, I'll, I'd rather be a bug on a wall, a fly on a wall in the in the stadium as a fan just to see what goes on between Viking fans and Packer fans and the jerseys and the t-shirts and what the signs are going to say. Cause I know how both fan bases are, you know, we're, we're, they're, they're brutal to each other. I know this for a fact, cause I know a few Viking fans and I know a few Packer fans. So that was my thing. I wasn't even worried about the it, it, trades and fee agent changes happen all the time as a player. We're like, you know, okay, that's part of our world. That's part of the business. But I, my thing went to, what the fans going to do? The fans about to be in the stands killing each other because they, they want to root for Brett, but they can't because they're Packer fans. <laughs> and now the Vikings have them. They used to hate them. You know, I'm like, they're going to be torn. And now he, you know, but he came in and did his thing. He had a good, you know, couple of years there in uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. And, and you got to be there, you know, for sort of the passing of the torch with, you know, 2009, when Aaron mm-hmm. Rodgers started to come into his own, I guess, what, what did you notice about the way he operated then? where I think he was beginning to establish himself as a star in the league. Um, what told you then that he was probably going to be a, a pretty decent football player? Uh, I'll have to say right away was his accuracy on his passes. I noticed that in practice. So 05 was his rookie year. That was a year. Uh, we had a rough year once we got to the regular season. But during training camp, I just noticed, you know, he was on point. When he threw the ball, he had, he had some sling on it. He had some stank, you know, had some speed on it. Wasn't. I say might have might have been as hard as Aaron. I mean, as a uh, Brett th- throws the ball or threw the ball. Um, and I say still throws the ball. I'm pretty sure he's still throwing it down there in Mississippi. Uh, but they both had that velocity on the ball and the accuracy. And but what I knew that, and I also think saw that he didn't really, you know, throw in dangerous territory. So where he didn't throw it, where it was going to be an interception or um, his player, you know, the receiver getting hit hard. He tried to basically throw it away or take the sack or live to, you know, it was something that his rookie year McCarthy, I know when McCarthy came in, um, in no six. So his re- rookie year was Sherman, but then Oh six McCarthy came in and then something that McCarthy would say every offensive install 
Um, if it was red zone, if it was a short yardage goal line, whatever it was, he would say to the quarterbacks, live to the next down. And that meant take the sack or throw the ball away or throw it where nobody can get it. You know, not our receiver and not the DBs. So live to the next play. And so I think that's that was like kind of, st- you know, s- stamped into his brain and his process. He was already a smart kid, a, a, great, a great talent coming out of California and having a chip on his shoulder, you know, as everybody watching the draft. I remember I watched that draft I mean, as he fell, you know, everybody was saying he fell. I'm like, he's still in the first round. What's this problem? You know, what's the problem? You know, but to him, I get, I got it. Cause I know I fell. I was told I was going to be a, for a low first round pick and I didn't get drafted to the third round. So I understand, understood his brain, you know, where his mental was coming into this team. He was coming here on a mission to prove people that he should have obviously went higher than what he did, but then his talent, the physical talent was there. I saw it in practice every day. Rogers is kind of an interesting person from this perspective that he has a chip on his shoulder. And I think that it's to his detriment sometimes, but it's also the thing that drives him. I wonder just from you watching from afar, the way his career has developed, but, but also he's under fire a lot. And I think these days, right. These days, but, but even over the summer too, I mean, just like, I, I understand they probably should have drafted a receiver at some point for him, but I mean, he seemed to take it very personally that they hadn't. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed to take it very personally that they drafted Jordan Love, which again, I understand, um, but it kind of maybe created unnecessary drama for him over the summer in a season where he was going to play all along, right? And come back and lead a team that has the potential to go and win a Super Bowl. So I've always found it just an interesting part of his personality, like many great athletes who have the edge that drives them, but also can rub a lot of people the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, it's just the, it's the confidence about he, that he carries. Um, and what he was trying to do, and, you know, he spoke about this and he's talked to this to other players, you know, like Pat Matthew, when he's on Pat's show and he's mentioned, you know, I had those times talking with Gutekus about, hey, here's a list of players I want, you know, that y'all could consider for free agency or consider for the draft, you know, getting Julio Jones, getting, you know, Odell Beckham, you know, those are the names that were popping up, getting this tight end. Um, and they were not, you know, when I say they, the, the scouting department, the GM were, was not acknowledging that. And so he was seeing it around the league, Tom Brady, you know, requesting players. It was working out. Drew Brees requesting players. You know, these are quarterbacks, all of the same caliber, you know, Super Bowl winning quarterbacks, potential, you know, a future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. It's like, why can't I? And I think it might have been that. Why why, why they're not listening to me? You know, it's like, like I, it's not like I don't know this game. I'm not trying to push my power. I don't think he was trying to push his weight around. I think he was trying to make the team better and help help him help that offense and help the team obviously get the players uh, in line to make sure they stay on path to get into the Super Bowl, because that is our goal every year from the time I was there to the time I left. That's the goal. Hey, man, that's all 32 teams. But for us, the Green Bay Packers being title town, we see it every day. We're reminded every day where the Super Bowl was born. So that is our mental. It's like we this is, you know, Super Bowl or bust every season. So I think he was just trying to do that. And and, and, and it, with everybody talking about it, all, you know, all of us, all the media conversation and speculation and that it, it, it grew legs and, and legs and a body. And then it had a, a mouth and a head. It could talk. So it was, it grew into this monster that, you know, that made him sometimes to people that don't understand that don't know Aaron, you know, took him as, you know, that he was arrogant or, you know, trying to, you know, do a power move. And I don't think it was nothing like that. He was just, he was a competitor. 
you know, we've seen Michael Jordan, you know, do what he had to do with his teammates. You, if you watch the 30 for 30, you know, he was in his teammates face. He was going back and forth with Phil Jackson. And that when you have that competitive nature about you, people got to understand when when that player gets upset or is at you or is on you, ragging on you about getting better. You know, you need to push hard. You need to, they're done. It's not a personal attack on you as a person. You know, he's not attacking your mom saying, oh, you got raised wrong by your parents. He's not that person is not doing it. It's like, I know you're a good player. Let's go. You know, let's do this. They're saying it. And it may not be saying it just like that, but they're, that's basically what they're doing. They're saying, hey, you you're 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 an NFL athlete just like me. You're a number one wide receiver. You're a number one running back. Act like it. Let's go, because I'm a, I'm a number one quarterback and I'm going to go out here and play like it. So that's how, you know, competitors sometimes talk to one another. And for when you're not around them all the time, you think like, ooh, like he, he said that to his teammate, like, oh, man. But in the locker room, we have that, that comfort level. We, we should, any, a good team should have that comfort level where you could say almost anything to them and not hurt their feelings. Be like, you know what? I, I hear you. You know, I, I, I got to step up. I got to do this. I got to make that tackle. I got to grab that, that catch next time it's, it's thrown my way. So that's that conversation that uh, when it gets, you know, once we hear it, as players, it doesn't affect us, but as fans, it's like, whoa, that was that was a little, you know, that was a little crazy or interesting that he said that to his teammate or about his teammate. So that's where that I believe that where all that lies. Yeah, that's good perspective, Amon. Certainly. Um, there's a couple of things in your playing career I want to eventually circle back to, but while we're talking Rogers, should probably get your take on on how you see this upcoming game on Sunday. Um, maybe how you perceive the Vikings from from your vantage point and um you know, what, what do you think is in store in this massive, it's, it's really a bigger game for Minnesota than it is yeah. for Green Bay because Minnesota is fighting for their playoff life. But uh, how do you shape this one up? Um, I say this game more than, I say this rivalry, this, this matchup I think is a little bit heavier than the Bears rivalry that the news and the media always talks about. This is the rivalry that probably is the rivalry in the NFC North because of the team's, defenses offenses are always similar we got a running back got to tell the defense i got linebackers d linemen and that's where you see here you know you got you know a good defensive front a good defensive front uh, uh i say linebackers and d line that's coached by zimmer and he's a defensive minded coach so his back end the dbs you know smith is a guy that i've i've been you know even though i played offense for years in high school i was a linebacker in high school and also i played strong safety so i enjoy watching smith come down and play strong safety, you know, the way he hits people and he's not an overly sized guy. He's, he looks like a, you know, a, a wide receiver slash normal DB size, but he hits like a Matt truck. And that's what I respect about his game. Cause a strong safety demands that that's what you should be. You basically a linebacker with speed, but he has not only the speed and he's a thumper. He has the intelligence to, you know, read the offense, know how to shut the offense down, shut a certain play down or help with the run game. Um, even though Denier Hunter is out, but they got guys coming up that stepping up to play. And a lot of the games you watch Minnesota, they've not just been blown out. You know, they've lost games just off of one or two mistakes. You know, Kurt, an interception here or, or just not a conversion there. Um, so they're right in the mix of these games. Sitting at four and five right now is a good spot. So for them, yes, this is a huge game because, you know, Packers with Aaron just coming back from his COVID. And now the defense, the good thing for Packers defense is they're playing good. They're stacked two games on top of each other. So going in this game, they got to feel, feel a little good about itself, but not overconfident, knowing that they still got to deal with a, a Dalvin Cook. They got to deal with a, a Adam, Adam Thielen and, just, and Jefferson as well. 
that that's going to you know great wide receivers for cut you know Kurt to throw the ball around to. So you know ma- you know match it up you know one on one matchups around the place around the field for this game are going to be you know detrimental for both sides of the ball. It's going to be trying to win with uh, Jefferson and with Devontae going to try to win his matchup to get open for Aaron and Jefferson for Kurt. You know even a kid that I know that I helped train. When he was in high school, you know, coming out of Michigan as a kid growing up, K.J. Osborne, he's a kid that's now for that roster is getting into the mix. He's getting three or five catches a game and he's another talent that Kurt gets the opportunity to throw that ball to. So for them, I say for the Vikings, yes, this is a big game because obviously it's a rivalry game. It's a divisional. What I always say when I was a player, divisional games count double because it's a, it's a rivalry and it helps us get into playoffs a lot easier. So if you win these divisional matchups, it makes your playoff push a little bit more easier come the end. You know, we're at the, we're at the playoff push. We're in it right now. We're in the thick of the playoff push. But come December, you win all the other divisional games that you need to along with this one for the Vikings, then uh, they could be sitting in a pretty place come uh, late, late, late December, early January. Well, Amon, you're going to have to talk more about K.J. Osborne, because uh, if you saw Sam smiling, all the way back to OTA, Sam was saying, you know, this KJ Osborne is going to break out this year. And we were like, I don't know, man, he didn't even have any catches last year. I guess we'll see. And then right. KJ has become a really big part of their offense and has come up with some of the biggest catches this year. So tell us more about KJ Osborne. Yeah. So KJ, how we met is from a friend. So my brother was in the army with a friend of his dad. And so, and their families were so close, they called him his dad. So it was a, a guy by the name of Steve Medvets and his son, EJ and KJ, they were like pretty much around each other every day. They were like brothers, even though they were different, you know, different families, but they basically came together as a family. And so I'm talking, Steve would come up and watch my games. He would bring EJ and KJ. They've been watching me since like 04, 03. And what was funny, you know, both being, you know, EJ and KJ being kids from Michigan, they still rooted for the Lions. Every time I was like, wait a minute, I'm giving y'all tickets to our games and y'all still root. Yeah, we Lions fans all day, Amon. I'm like, oh, man, I say I, I'm not going to give y'all no more tickets. I was like, no, I was kidding, though. But that's how it was just fun. And that's how we grew to know each other. And so one summer, um, one year when they came up to watch the uh, Packers and Lions game, I said, you know, Steve's like, Amon, you know, the, guy, the kids or, you know, they were at that time like seventh sixth, seventh grade. And, you know, they, he's like, I had a conversation with both kids, both boys. And they said, you know, I want to, you know, I want to go. I, he, I asked them, you know, do, do you want to go you know, try to make it to the NFL or play baseball and be a pro athlete? They're like, yeah. And it was like, well, you know, we've got a guy that we could, you know, we could talk to. And so he's like, mom, would you mind training the boys for the summer? And I'm like, yeah. I was like, I just read at that time. It was 2009. I just retired. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. I said, yeah, bring them all or drop them off. I'll bring them back. You know, that's the evening trade. So they came there. They came on the summer of 2009, stayed at my house. And they were between, uh, you know, waking up early, working out. I said, look, we're going to wake up early so we could be done early. You know, so we got up around seven o'clock, seven, eight o'clock, hit the weight room, uh, do some cardio. And then I said, after I said, we could be done by noon or one o'clock. And then the rest of the day is yours. You know, it's summertime. So I want y'all to enjoy that. But you got to get your work in early. And so, cause I say, that's how our programs was. We had to be at the weight room by eight o'clock in the morning. So that means we had to be at the facility at seven and we got to, we'll be done with our, with our weights and cardio uh, by 12, one o'clock. And then, you know, you can have your day. And so that was the routine. We wake up every morning, um, work out, do cardio. If it was a speed agility day, if it wasn't a speed endurance day, I remember jogging or, you know, we, I have a hilly neighborhood and we were doing like Rocky jogging around the neighborhood and, EJ, he was a bigger kid at the time. He was like, 
I can't hang. I'm like, you better. I was like, let's go. I said, like, you want to be in the league or you want to play major league baseball or basketball? This is it. This is the grind. And KJ, he's out in front. You know, he was up with me jogging. And then I remember one morning EJ came, you know, I started, I noticed EJ started not coming in on time. He was showing up late. And, and so I was like, you know, Hey, let's have a talk. I said, if y'all really are serious about this, you got to be here now on time. I say, because I could be playing video games right now. I could be doing something way better than this. And from that conversation, and KJ was only coming in late because that was his brother. You know, that was his friend. He's not going to not just show up before him. So he was, well, he didn't want to outdo him or whatever. So I, I was like, okay, at least he got that teammate at, attitude. I'm like, but you got to, you got to still be here on time. So when I had that conversation with them, I could see him flip the switch. He flipped the switch where he took it up to another notch as a eighth, as a sixth grader, at seventh grader at that time. And then that, that, after that week and then the whole summer, he just got stronger, got better, you know, got ready for football. Fantastic high school career for both of them, actually. Um, EJ or KJ actually got a school, a scholarship down to IMG that got him to Buffalo and then to Miami and then boom, on to, um, to the Minnesota Vikings. So for, for those years, we always stayed in contact. And I always tell, you know, you know, I would say, hey, I'm watching the games, you know, doing a great job. Keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, stuff that he would say to me, I knew he had it. He, he knew about the hard work. He knew about the dedication. He would ask me really quick, you know, quick, fast questions. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're, you're there. You know, he's asking me about coverages. You know, what's, what's the cover two like? What's that look like? What's the cover three look like? What's what, what happens when a DB is pressing you? And, man, what should, how should I get out of that? And I'm breaking it down. I was like, all right, you should do this, that, and the other. And so I'm like, okay. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, he, that flip got switched. Because you can't – I tell a lot of parents because they ask me all the time when I train kids before. They said, what can I do to get my child, you know, girl or boy, to, to figure it out? I'm like, they got to do it themselves. They got to find that – they got to find that switch and flip it. Once they flip the switch, you'll know. And that's what KJ did. He flipped that switch. And I was like, it wasn't much I had to tell him after that. His, you know, once he went home, his mom and dad, you know, his family, Steve would always call me, hey, KJ's doing this, EJ's doing that. EJ, they both excelled in high school. And then after high school, obviously, EJ, he went into the, just the workforce. He works construction now. He's doing good for himself. But KJ obviously kept excelling, you know, because he focused towards football. And this is why you see what he's doing. So to me, no surprise, you know, because it's been there for a long, since you, I met him when he was like, I think 10, 11 years old. And that work ethic just grew, you know, as he got rewarded for going to IMG, going to Buffalo, going to the U, having a, you know, having a chance to get in the transfer portal to keep his college career going and then getting drafted to the Minnesota Vikings. So all that hard work and effort, effort is coming through right now. And is, this is just the start. This is just the start. He's going to continue to ascend because he has a work ethic kind of like, like between, I know his family and, and working with me, he knew my work. I think what I what I would push myself to do mentally and physically with football um, and how, you know, how the hard work in the locker room dedication. And so I know he's he's going to it's going to be solid and just now keep Devin Cook, you know, healthy and that defense healthy. So Minnesota is going to be always be that, that that tree stump in the road <laughs> for the Packers or any team in the NFC North. They're a solid team. Amon, you came on the right show to talk about K.J. Osborne. I mean, <laughs> I was say, is Sam to could me, hug like, you right now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. We can do that. We can hug through the screen. I, yeah, I hug, yeah. Virtual embrace. No, that, uh, that's awesome stuff. Okay. Let me ask you one more thing. And this is a, an abrupt change, but I wanted to ask oh. you before we wrapped up. Cool. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I want to know, as a Batman fan myself growing up, watch the cartoon every single day after, uh, you know, after school. 
and watch many of the movies and stuff. I want to know what you think is the best iteration of Batman. Is it the cartoon? Is it the Dark Knight? Is it the like it's been done many times? Who did it the best? Well, I'm a, as I always start with this because I get asked this a lot uh, for nostalgic say who did it best was Michael Keaton, 1989. Um, Tim Burton was the movie director. Kim mm-hmm. Basinger, Jack Nicholson, um, Prince was the our soundtrack. guy. I was gonna say our guy Prince. Prince was he, he his soundtrack won an Academy Award, I believe, um, or, or yeah, an Oscar. So yeah, I'll say that's what was the first one for me from a nostalgic say. I say since then and what I've seen between the animated movies that DC has put out, Warner Brothers done it. That's one thing they've done good because Marvel has been kicking their butt on the other side of the, the seminar <laughs> battle. We already know what Marvel's done and Disney's done. They've done it. They did it right. But the animated DC movies of Batman, the different voices they have and the different stories they tell, like the Gaslight one. The, um, I know they, he, he did a cameo in the, the um, Suicide Squad uh, attack one. Um, and it was just you know, they do so many things. You could do so much with a cartoon that you can't do in the big screen. I think that's what it is. They've done a great job with that, with the, with the casting of the voices, the voiceovers, but then the artwork and the design. So that's between the, the 1989 and then, the, and then the, um, the animation stuff. But then another live action one for me, uh, Christian Bell did an outstanding job in all his series of Batman's. Um, he did a good job. He took in the role. He got in shape. He, uh, he mastered who Bruce Wayne is and, and, and always will be is the world's greatest detective along with Michael Keaton. And I can't wait to see Flash movie where they actually have Michael Keaton and Patterson and Bruce, uh, uh, not uh, Ben Affleck, Batman. I think it's rumors they all might be in the same little hmm. flick if you pay attention to is it screen rant or movie rant, whatever website <laughs> that is to talk about. Uh, the uh, the Easter eggs that are out there for us as uh, comic book fans, but yeah, those are those are the ones for me. So I hope I answered your question there. Yeah, no, you did. I, I mean, yeah. I used to every day for me was come home watch. I think it was Spider Man, Batman back to back, and yep. the cartoon version, and that that to me was was the best. And then everything else is just can you match up with that? I'm sure if I watched it back today, maybe I'd be like, eh, maybe it's a little corny, but uh, yeah, it is. I, thought, I, yeah. I watched some of it. I'm like, oh man, what was it? Like the Spider Man's is probably a little bit of corniest, but yeah. Stan Lee. He wanted that. That's how he wanted mm-hmm. them with the bow, you know, and Batman did it with the bow splat with the syndication show with a uh, uh, guy rest his soul, uh, uh, Bruce, uh, Bruce West or no, uh, Adam West, Adam West, Adam yeah. West and Burgess Meredith and, uh, and uh, Robin. I can't think of his name right now. I had it. Darn it. It'll get back in my brain. <laughs> okay. Can you real quick before we wrap up, just give us a prediction on this game since we've gone in a lot of really interesting directions here, but yes. we, we haven't yeah. asked you who you think is going to win. Um, I was just, it's going to be, it's like I said, it's going to be a tough game. Um, and I'm not going, I'm going to go with the Packers and I'm not doing that because I'm a former Packer. I'm just going with them because their defense has stepped up <clears throat> in the last several weeks when Aaron didn't play to when Aaron played, they stacked on, they won those games, you know, offense just kind of did their job to get points on the board. And it kind of took me back to the Super Bowl year for the Buccaneers. When I remember seeing a comment from either John Lynch or Warren Sapp, or Derek Brooks said, "Hey, offense! If we if they score ten points, we gonna win this game because we could keep a defense. We could keep an offense out of the end zone. So that's kind of they're not to that caliber, but they're getting on. They're in that path. So I said just because of defense right now and the, the little mistakes that Kurt and the offense has done made mistakes on in winning or losing their games that might catch up to them. But they have the firepower 
to be neck and neck with the Packers come fourth quarter. But I think they get a little bit edged out and I say it'd be a tight score or something like uh, I'm going to say 20 to 17. It's going to be a tight game. It almost always is. Uh, I yep. think every win the Vikings have had uh, against the Packers in the Mike Zimmer era has been less than seven points or seven points yeah. or less. So it's crazy like that. Amon Green, an NFL legend, a huge, a huge Batman fan. Um, we could do a whole other show about your esports and everything else. You see uh, that little dude right there? Uh, look at that. That's me, a fan made. <laughs> A fan-made bobblehead with a Batman green and gold. <laughs> that, that is amazing. That is amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure and uh, very cool here, that Matt. you're doing the uh, Believe in Packers podcast. So people, if you can stomach listening to some Packers talk, can go check that out. <laughs> you got to say that. You, you would not be a Viking host if you didn't say that. So I appreciate you. <laughs> exactly. You, you stay exactly. true to your, your colors and your team. I like it. <laughs> well, thanks so much, uh, Amon, for this time. And it was really great to, to get to know you. I hope that we can do it again. Oh yeah, anytime. I love it. It's a great time. I'm get, I'm learning to get better at being a commentator and a host myself. Me and me and Mike, we get to hang out, my old teammate. So and I get to meet new hosts like yourself. So I'm having a good time. So uh, Matthew, Sam, thank you very much for having me on. Thanks, Mon. Yep, you're welcome. Folks, have you ever thought about taking a bike to work but figure it's too far or that the hills are too steep? Or heck, who wants to show up to work covered in sweat? Well, that's why you need to check out the electric cruiser bike from my friends at Boogie Bikes. The Boogie Bike gives you all the experience of saving gas, getting outside, and feeling the wind through your hair. Say if you have a haircut like that Green Bay quarterback. Uh, but you don't have to be an Olympic cyclist in order to get all those benefits. The Boogie Bike has a strong yet quiet motor, sensitive pedal assist, and a very comfortable seat for you to cruise along for miles and miles. Don't settle for a low quality bike. The Boogie Bike is built in Wisconsin using its highest quality parts from around the world. And honestly, it looks cool and goes fast. Go to boogiebikes.com, get yourself an electric bike today and use the promo code SKOL, S-K-O-L, to get $250 off your purchase and a nice basket as well. By the way, there is no risk within the first 15 days. You can try a boogie bike and boogie bikes have an industry leading five-year warranty as well. Again, go to boogiebikes.com. Check them out today. Joining me on the show, making return appearance, the senior football analyst and co-host of the Too High podcast. That is T-W-O High podcast. Seth Galino. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm great. Uh, you got me really excited before the show because I'm going to go watch American, uh, sorry, East Coast Hockey League in Cincinnati next week. So uh, you, you've made my day already. <laughs> yeah, you live in Canada, but you make frequent trips to the PFF offices in Cincinnati. And we were talking about things to do in Cincinnati, which I don't want to insult other guests who live in Cincinnati. <laughs> so I'll just say that uh, I figured there was minor league something and, and then you found it. East Coast Hockey League. My first gig was covering American Hockey League, which is actually above the ECHL. And minor league hockey, man, I mean, it's amazing. It's great. So is this your is this your first minor league hockey game, or have you gone to minor league games before? I've been to the American Hockey League. Uh, that's like the, the, the rank just under the NHL because there's a team. Uh, they moved the Montreal Canadiens, uh, you know, development, not development team, their AHL team to the city, basically. It's just just over the river, so it's not that far. Uh, so I've been to one game, and it was super fun. 
Uh, this is a little lower level than that. This is the ECHL. So, uh, but yeah, and I've been to an, like we were talking before, I've been to an NCAA game at Michigan, which is unbelievably fun. So I'm, I'm kind of excited. Yeah. I mean, here when the Gophers hockey team is good, which I don't know on the men's side, if that's happened often recently, but usually they can pack the house and the atmosphere of college hockey is amazing. But ECHL, I caught the very end of minor league hockey when it was like slap shot and when the, where there was just fights all the time and all sorts of crazy things that you've never seen before. I saw goalie fights and every team would have not one goon, but like several goons. Um, and now I don't think it's that way. I, I think it's mostly skaters and high flying and a lot of scoring because the goalies are usually terrible, but I kind of caught that fringe of you'd have like two prospects that could play in the NHL and everyone else just fought each other. That's, that's yeah, kind of a fun element of it, even though I'm, I'm glad there's less fighting now. There, there, there have always been uh, semi-pro leagues, definitely here in, in the different parts of Canada, where the, the people aren't showing up to watch hockey. Like that, like, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, no one's yeah. showing up to watch people pass the puck around. People are showing up to watch people fight each other. Which again, I, I don't know if these are things anymore. I think we've learned that maybe this is not this is not how we should be treating our bodies. But yeah, that that's that's that was hockey for a long time. Yeah, no, for sure. It used to be that if someone didn't get in a fight when it seemed like it was appropriate, it would be like a thing that you'd be asking players and coaches. And and that's gone away really in the last 10 years. I think I looked at this not too long ago that even just fights per game in the NHL have almost disappeared. Maybe you get one every two weeks or something like that. That's a legitimate fight um, along a, a big difference from when I was growing up, which I know I'm a little older than you, but when I was growing up, it was like every single hockey game had multiple fights. Uh, so anyway, let's talk football though. Right. Instead of ECHL hockey, I could, I could talk about this subject for a while because I've got some funny stories about it. One, one time, just real quick. I once I was covering a game. And you know, this was like when you didn't realize people actually read the tweets. You just sort of said whatever. And there was a, a one of the defensemen for the team I was covering was not a particularly great fighter. And a, a legendary NHL fighter had been sent down to the minors and they were kind of scuffling a little bit. And I tweeted something like, oh, you don't want any part of that guy. And then the player read the tweet and came like looking for me in the locker room after the game. Cause he was so offended that I said he was going to get his ass kicked. So, you know, just, but that also happened to you last week with Kirk though. Uh, yeah, no, that, that has <laughs> not happened with uh, cousins. What the thing about Twitter and cousins is that uh, he doesn't have to do any of his own defending because he has a, an entire army of people uh, he has, who, he has me. um, yeah, and he has you, which is what we're going to talk about. But he has an entire army that are uh, just, I think, searching his name every day and then looking for stats to defend whatever. So let's talk a little bit. Let's talk about Cousins in this season because I think it's really interesting. When you and I talked before the year, um, you had made your case that it was possible that Kirk Cousins could win an MVP. And I wonder what your opinion is on just how much his numbers have changed in certain ways and then also been similar in certain ways. Like, in, in terms of his average depth of target, it's dropped to Alex Smith levels from where it was before, which was throwing it down the field all the time under Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski, which is a big change. But he still has a lot of the other staples that, you know, the high PFF grade, high completion percentage and an EPA that is not impressive and expected points added that is not all that impressive. And I just wonder what you make of the numbers when you look at his season. 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm, I, I wish I had like a real insight into what's going on here because like you said, it's the PFF grid is going to be his highest ever as I'm looking up right now, 90.0. Uh, that would be better than last year's, uh, that's sorry, than 2019's 85.9. But you're seeing um, just uh, the average depth of target go down by quite a bit. And it's funny because I think we, we always thought of Kirk as this like low average of the target guy. And, and I think the scheme kind of forced him to be a little more down the field. Uh, and that's not happening as much anymore, which is, which is really interesting. I, I think the funny thing for me, like when you think about the Kirk narrative and stuff is like, if this season was happening by Drew Brees uh, and, and it kind of did in like that 2017, 2018, 2019 range, because he had, because Breeze had built up this narrative about him, and 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 he was a downfield thrower and obviously an elite quarterback um, going into that 2017 late run, late career run, you know, you would be like, oh, well, and 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 they were winning games. You'd be like, oh, well, this is an MVP type season. But with Kirk, obviously, we don't we don't um, think of it like that, uh, even though he's been really good. I think you know, certainly PFF grade does a lot of turn in terms of hey, if you avoid negative plays. If you are not an inaccurate passer, uh, you you can you can grade pretty highly because it you know a lot of this is depth adjusted accuracy and stuff like that. So I think you're getting into that a lot, and the lower your your average depth of target is going to be, especially for a quarterback like Kirk, who is obviously accurate and obviously has, you know, we talked about talked about this all the time, very good footwork and technique. He's going to get the ball to the right players, so I think that's helped him. Um, but you know, the offense is is just not what I think people want it to be. And and maybe that's part of it. Like let me I'm gonna look up as as you as you talk here, I'll look up the where their routes are being run this year because I haven't checked that out. But yeah, I just it, it's yeah. really interesting when you talk about the you know things that go into a PFF grade. And I think of this for anything is we're often looking for one stat to tell us all of the answers. And that is not ever the case. When you look at quarterback rating, quarterback rating is really fueled by completion percentage and completion percentage fundamentally is pretty flawed because a 30 yard throw that's incomplete is the same as a five yard throw that's incomplete. And if you count those two things similarly, just like a home run and a single both count as a hit in batting yeah. average, and that makes batting average problematic. Um, but of course, if your batting average is 150, you're not good. And the same as if your completion percentage is really low or something like that. Uh, so th I think that every one of these numbers with cousins that he's put up over the years kind of tells its own story. Um, but I also think there's an element of this too, because you're looking up the routes that Gary Kubiak uh, was running an offense that was becoming very popular, like suddenly, like what's old is new, right? Play actions, bootlegs, trying to get those deep crossing routes and, and things like that. And those often worked against single high safety looks. And I think the league just really switched quickly with some of the success that Vic Fangio's had defensively. And uh, we see it to some extent with Brandon Staley in uh, Los Angeles it just feels like everyone on the defensive side looked around and said, oh, we've got to figure out how to stop these again. Like, uh, you know, teams in the early 2000s had to figure out how to stop the Shanahan stuff. And then we've got to do it again because all these teams have added to it. And I think when you have those deep routes covered, Cousins is not the guy who's going to force it there. But what's going to be open is a check down to the tight end. 
And, and that I think makes up a large portion of his passes are when they try to run those and either a defensive end comes up field because they know it's coming or there's two deep safeties and he's not going to throw it into double coverage. Yeah, I think a good example of that is Adam Thielen getting wide open against the Chargers on uh, on Sunday and he throws the ball underneath. And I think there's a little bit of pressure, but the read, I think if I remember that play correctly, I feel like the read should have taken him to Thielen anyways. And then they, the Chargers bust the coverage and he still ends up checking the ball down uh, to, to, you know, it's like a three or four yard route on like a whatever route it was. So, and uh, yeah, there was a little bit of pressure, like some guy got free, but like another quarterback sits in there and throws a touchdown. Right. And I think that's always been, um, that's always been uh, Kirk's game. Right. And it reminds me of, you know, Rivers was always like that. Uh, hey, if I get anything that's not uh, that, that that freaks me out a bit, well, I'll check it, check it, check it. And that's why Rivers had like, you know, 300 targets to running backs every year. Um, and Kirk, Kirk has the same similarities. I think Kirk, um, you know, the funny thing about the Vikings offense is that they force defenses to not give them what you're talking about for the most part because they play with C.J. Ham and because they play with the second tight end a lot. And defenses, and you saw it against the Chargers. Chargers, Brandon Staley is a too high defense team. He wants to play quarters. He wants to light, you know, give you light boxes and stuff like that. And he played against the Vikings, and he said, no, I'm going to load the box as much as I can. And that has to do with the fact that the Vikings want to run the football and the fact that they do it with heavier personnel. So I think that also inflates Kirk's numbers. And and this is this is why I, I've always been the – I'm not like – I don't think Kirk is like this unbelievably elite great quarterback, but why I always feel like there's there could have been – I'm kind of off the bandwagon a little bit now, but that, whether, why there could have been – a year in which everything goes perfect and Kirk wins the MVP because it's you know his his like box score numbers are really good because they get these looks that are so juicy when you have two elite outside receivers right when you play cover three when you spin that safety into the box or play cover one with it the outside receivers are one on one and you know you obviously have two really talented players out there so I always thought that was going to happen and. It, the, the like you said, the average of the target has gone down. The routes haven't changed that much as I'm looking at it, looking at just looking at the heat map. Uh, it's going to be hard to describe a, a heat map, but like I don't see that much difference in terms of where the routes are being run. Um, but he's just he's just targeting them. He's targeting short a lot more, and maybe he's just trying to. I don't know. It's weird. You know, I, I'm a Saints fan, and I, I, don't, I don't think this is a good analogy, what I'm saying anyways. But as a Saints fan, I, I looked at, like, Jameis Winston in the games that he played before the injury, and, and I'm like, where's Jameis? Like, why is he checking the ball down all the time? Like, where are these deep throws and stuff like that? Where are these, where are these guns? Where's this gunslinger mentality? And, and yeah, I wonder if he just, you know, Sean Payton got in his ear and said, no, this is how we play here, blah, blah, blah. And like I said, I don't think it's a great analogy for Kirk to just be like, hey, this, they told him, you know, we want to check the ball down because I think he's been in the league long enough and he, he has he is who he is at this point. But it is interesting that they were just like that. It just seems like he just doesn't want to throw the ball downfield at all anymore. 
Well, and Mike Zimmer, after the game, made it very clear whose fault he thinks that is. <laughs> and I mean, very clear where he was saying, look, I told Kirk he's got to do this and he's got to target Jefferson and he's got to push down the field and I don't care about his interceptions. One thing that has come up, but I don't know how to directly, like I'm always careful to um, try try to have something that I can point to as evidence to say anything. Um but the contract thing is real. Like he he's needs good numbers. If he's going to get traded somewhere else, or if he's going to sign an extension here, it's a lot easier for his agent to point to. He only threw two picks all year and they were both tipped. than it is, Oh, he led the league in interceptions because he was pushing it downfield and he overthrew somebody or whatever it might be. But I don't want to accuse a guy of changing the way he plays because of that. Because I also know that his head coach is talking out of both sides of his mouth because in 2018, when they opened it all up and he was very aggressive and threw picks and had strip sacks from time to time, as one does, um, then Zimmer was telling him, look, you have people's jobs on the line. You can't throw these interceptions and you can't make these mistakes. And so you're kind of telling him both things. And I, and I wonder if that plays into it. And I also wonder if just there are more teams that have been willing to be patient with the run thing. Um, Because I think Brandon Staley made a mistake that, I think that if he had stuck with the too high and just said, I dare you to run for 250 yards on us, I don't think you can. Um, I don't think. Uh, I, don't, offensive- I don't know if you've ever seen the Chargers interior defensive line. I don't know but if you say that. Have you checked the Vikings interior <laughs> offensive line? That's I mean, right. they were, they're playing a backup center. They're playing two tackles at guard. And neither one of them are good run blockers or like exceptional run blockers. And I think that the teams that are the smartest have dared the Vikings to run all day against them, where in some past years that has not worked. I mean, it's sometimes we've seen Delvin Cook run for 200 yards, but oftentimes it's like the, what the Vikings do well is they dare you to kind of stick with something you're uncomfortable with. Like you, you then your natural inclination is to load the box, but then they're going to hit big plays on you. And on the defensive side, Mike Zimmer will be patient with playing his two deep safeties and he'll dare you to run all day because most, and the chargers made this mistake too. The chargers reeled off three good runs in a row. And then it was like, no, we've got to pass down the field and overthrew a guy. Then it's third down. Then Mike Zimmer plays mind games with you. And all of a sudden it was like, if you just kept running, you probably win the football game. And I, I think that's a, a, a dynamic that goes into this is some of the good teams are willing to do that. But usually what it comes down to is, do they have good defensive lines? And that's what I think might play into this is that the Vikings have just played a tough schedule so far. They've played teams that can get after the quarterback. And I think that he's trying to get rid of it quickly. But a lot of teams play tough schedules and I know you're not defending. I know you're not I, like, I, right. I, right. Just, I just, point, just pointing out this has been, a, yeah, it's been yeah. a trend. Uh, it's just like, you know, a lot of teams play tough schedules and, and with good offenses, they, they win in, in those games. Right. Uh, and that hasn't been the case so far. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of agree with you. I think defensive coordinators, you know, especially at this level, get into, uh, they get a little nervous um, when they see fullbacks and tight ends on the field and they say, well, I'm going to get, they're going to run the football on me. So I, let me, let me put my bigger package on the field and let me spin my second safety into the box and so on and so forth. And I, and I kind of think that, I don't know, I go back and forth with this, but I also, I just feel like if they're going to put a lot of bodies in the box, even if the you can afford to play with less bodies because someone will make a play in the box for you. Mm-hmm. 
Like there's too many, you have too many like individual bodies. Even if you're outnumbered, even if you're outnumbered, you have bodies that can get off blocks and make plays for you um, as they bring people in. Now against a spread look, if you want to play a five-man box against, you know, just one running back and like four open receivers, that's a different story. I understand that. Now you have less people that are in that area where the ball is. But the more they bring people in, the more I think you can – I don't have the numbers to back this up, but the more I think you can remove people from your box um, and still be able to stop the, stop the run. So and, – and it's funny because we saw Staley do that all, all year last year. And this year he's been – there's been games where he did it against the Vikings. He did it against the Raiders. And they're, they're obviously a heavier personnel team. You know, they can be when they want to be uh, with Alex Ingold as their fullback. So – I think that is something that, again, this is why Kirk was supposed to win the MVP because <laughs> of things like this, right? Because defenses were going to give them these looks and there's right. too much talent on this team, uh, especially on the outside, um, for me to believe it was never going to happen. But I don't know. Maybe it's never going to happen. Uh, I don't – well, the way that I've thought of it is that – whoops, sorry, drop my phone. You uh, You can't get the slider ever quite right. You know, the, the temperature yeah. is never exactly where you want it to be. It's always a little too hot or it's always a little too cold. And a lot of offensive coordinators have tried a lot of different things and sort of end up with the same results. And he it's funny about just how we even perceive what's going on with him because he plays well for a half and it's like, ah, they've solved it. They've gotten what they need to do. Now just do it for the whole next game. And then you lose to Cooper Rush because your offense <laughs> couldn't do anything. And what you have, I think, is – a quarterback who needs a very specific set of circumstances to have great games. And those circumstances come up all the time. You play Seattle, they play cover one. Yeah. They don't have any defensive linemen that scare you. And he just sits back there and picks him apart. And it's very impressive when he's on his game. But even in the first half of the chargers game, they're pressuring him. You get a strip sack mixed in, you get some checkdowns mixed in. And then all of a sudden you have to play really well in the second half of that football game to win it. Uh, when, you were a, a better team. I mean, the Chargers offense was bad the entire day for the most part, and you're the better team, and yet still you're having to convert a fourth down to close them out. And so they play a form of football, and they have a quarterback who is predisposed to playing these close games. So there's almost an idea that it's random of, oh, well, man, just it's so random. They've played all these close games. Like, no, I think that that's kind of who you are. Also, the other thing, tell me, tell me how you feel about this. Had a theory, so I'm going to run it by you. Uh, I've noticed that the expected points added for running is with a lot of teams actually higher than it usually has been in, in years past this year. And the Vikings is lower than you would expect and way lower than it was the last two years. I think the teams are figuring out when, to, when they should run the football. And I'm not sure the Vikings have figured out when they should run the football. And, and that puts cousins in a lot of third downs ends long because they're just not really like doing this in a way that is as efficient as the rest of the league. Yeah. I, I hadn't seen that, uh, but it makes a lot of sense to me what you're saying. And I think this is always the issue. And I go back to the saints where it's like, you know, the saints weren't this like unbelievable rushing attack. Uh, they were very good, but I don't think they were like the Titans, uh, you know, with Derek Henry there, obviously. But one of the things that was great about the saints was they never went backwards. So you and you, you would and and it fits in with what their quarterback wanted to do and 
And, you know, obviously we talked about the similarities between what Kirk wants to do and what Drew Brees wants to do. Well, it's easier to, to be Drew Brees on third and four. Like most quarterbacks, you don't want to play in any third down situation, right? I think this, this is something that the narrative has kind of changed. There's, no, there's not a lot of third manageables. Most third manageables are just like third and ones. Um, so anything beyond that is going to be tough on your quarterback. And if you have a guy who, you know, look, Kirk is Kirk is a Kirk is a really good quarterback. Like he is, like he he is a really good quarterback, but he has his limitations. And third and eight is a lot different for him than third and four is. Just like Breeze was at the late late career Breeze. Third and four Breeze, he'll get he'll it's a first down. Third and ten Breeze, it's a different story. Third and ten Breeze in two thousand nine is 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 a completion. But you know uh, we're talking you know Kirk is more like late career breeze unfortunately so i think yeah that that's really playing a factor into it and they just can't and i know you uh they're trying to find they've always tried to find a third receiver i know kid born uh kid osborne played played well uh obviously that that's been so that's been good when they when they do have to get into these spreader sets and put three receivers on the field but i i, I haven't watched enough to tell you um it to me it feels like they're running a lot of the same offense that they've done with putting ham on the field and I looked these numbers up a few weeks ago and it didn't seem like it was it was it was that that different um you know they see a lot of base defense uh they saw them fourth they saw last year they saw the most base defense in the league last year that should help their passing game and it does but yeah I think I think once you get into these if the running game doesn't work as much and I don't have an answer like I don't have any specific answer to why it's not working but if it's not working a lot and now you're forcing the defenses to play what they want to play on third down, well, you got problems. Yeah, I think that uh, to, it's too pronged. I think that their offensive line is not as good at run blocking. Uh, they put a huge emphasis on run blocking in previous years, but then this year uh, Mike Zimmer wanted better pass blocking, so they put these tackles at guard and – they're not as good at run blocking. That's part of it. Uh, Delvin Cook has had ankle issues where his explosiveness is just not quite the same. This is why people talk about running backs not mattering. It's not that they don't matter. It's that they fall off very quickly. And when you pay them, it might not be the same. Uh, he hasn't broken 75-yard touchdown runs like he has in the past because you get an ankle injury, you lose one half a step, and all of a sudden those 75-yard touchdowns are just 10-yard gains, right? So mm -hmm. I Go ahead. I was going to say, so, so then, then you get in these situations where it's like, okay, Kirk has been really good because they get, they, they can control what a defense does to them. Like they did, like again, like they controlled what Brandon Staley did to them on Sunday. And okay, that's great. And you're busting off runs. But now you say, okay, well, we want to be more pass protection heavy. Okay. That's fine. I, I understand why you want to do that. You feel like you need to win more games and how you win more games is through throwing explosive plays. But now your issue is who your quarterback is, right? Like now you're going to get into these more three wide receiver sets. You're going to do this all the time. You're going to see less base defense. He's going to throw short of the sticks because you're not going to play action as much. You're not going to do this as much, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And like that gets you into, into him being um, uh, a lot less um, downfield passer. So I even hear just, just overall uh, – his uh, play action rate is at 24.8%. In 2019, it was 316 In 2020, it was 29%. So, like, all this is leading to 
to him having to play more court in a less quarterback friendly environment. And we're, we're kind of seeing who Kirk really is. Folks, football season is in full swing, but we've got basketball and hockey getting rolling as well. And Soda Stick has got you covered. You have to see the Moose t-shirt designs for Marcus Foligno. You can also get your hands on the very popular Dollar Bill Kirill shirts as well. On the basketball side, the design with three wolves howling at the moon, perfect for the spooky fall season. And the design with the wolf carved into the state of the Minnesota is just awesome. It's very cool stuff. And hey, for you college football fans, Check out the Tanner Morgan t-shirts as well. Soda Stick has tons of hats and hoodies with all their great designs on them. You will love it. Go to SodaStick.com. That is S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K. Check that out today. Use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. And also follow myself and Soda Stick on Twitter for our giveaways. Sam Ekstrom here, wondering if you're stuck on your company's injury report. In an unfortunate situation like that, it's good to have someone in your corner. That's where Kemet Sanford and Kramer Law can help you understand your rights under Minnesota's workers' compensation laws. There's enough uncertainty in our lives nowadays that the last thing you want is to feel helpless if you wind up in a bad situation after a workplace injury. Kemet Sanford and Kramer will fight for you if there's been a wrongfully denied work comp claim so you can get the benefits you deserve. If your claim's been accepted, they help with rehabilitation disputes, medical disputes, help you get a second opinion, and ensure you're getting all the benefits you're entitled to on an accepted claim. Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer will provide you a dedicated and experienced disability attorneys that have secured their clients tens of millions of dollars. Our good friends Mike, Pat, and Evan will handle all that messy legalese to and from the insurance company about your claim while you focus on what's important, your recovery. And there's no cost involved for reaching out to Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer. In fact, you don't pay a dime unless they successfully obtain your benefits. You get paid, then they get paid. It's that simple. The website is yourminnesotaworkcomplawyer.com, where you can find a phone number to get a free consultation. This is an attorney advertisement from Kemet, Sanford, and Kramer, yourminnesotaworkcomplawyer.com. Yeah, no, I I agree. Uh, and this was always something that even they would admit to about, like, he can't be in the dropback game. We don't want him in the dropback game. We want him on short yardage situations. We want him on advantageous spots to run play action. And like you said, the play action rate is lower. And I think that's been often determined by circumstance. And also the other thing, too, is I think that maybe there's some details I don't know what you think of this offense in general, but I, I feel like the best of the best with this style of offense just have this fluency of it where they understand how to put different tweaks and things into it where every week you'd watch Gary Kubiak would be like, Gary, where did that come from? And, and how about Kyle Shanahan the other night, George Kittle lines up in a bunch formation and then blocks the defensive end coming up field. It's like, Oh, okay. Because the tackle, if you can envision this, you know, on a wide zone, the tackle is leaving the defensive end. George Kittle looks like he's lined up at wide receiver comes all the way back to make that block. And you go, okay, okay, Kyle Shanahan, I see what you're doing. I haven't felt that way about this offense this year. It's been kind of the standard stuff, but I haven't been watching the tape back and go, Oh, look at that little wrinkle. And I think that's maybe just inexperience from Clint Kubiak. And I also think now you've coached football before when you're the guy calling the plays, 
you just have a lot of people telling you how you should be calling the plays. And I don't know that he was prepared for this. I mean, even on Sunday, Mike Zimmer, after the game, after a win where everyone usually is celebrating like they've won the Super Bowl, Zimmer says, yeah, Clint Kubiak shouldn't have told you guys this week we were going to throw to Jefferson as if we didn't know they wanted to throw to Jefferson. (laughs) Right. But it was just like, there's a lot of pressure from him. There's a lot of pressure from Kirk, a lot of pressure from people around Kirk. Delvin wants the ball. Jefferson wants the ball. Like there's just a lot of things going on there. And you know, you're facing the best defensive minds in the world as well. This is something I actually thought about this past week. uh, When it, as it pertains to Cliff Kingsbury, actually, because I've come around on Cliff a bit, obviously like they're winning games, whatever, everyone's going to come around on them, but he's, he's always creating open players down the field with something. They're doing something and they're, they're some sort of trick look or, or progression off something. And I, and I, and I'm just like, you know, in a league where everyone is so equal in a league where everyone's running the same stuff on offense on defense, like, Play calling does mean finding these four or five plays a game where you can create explosive plays that have nothing to do with who you have on offense mm-hmm. or what you do generally out of your base stuff. Sean Payton was always really good at that, even with you Breeze. Um, and like I said, I, I noticed Cliff Cliff gets into that stuff too. They do a lot of progressions off their off their base stuff. That's really good. So yeah, I I, I can't speak to it really like specifically with with the Viking stuff. I take your word for it. But yeah, I think that that is that it's such a huge part of play calling because uh, your base stuff can only get you so far. And again, in the league where everyone knows what you're doing and everyone's running the same stuff so that the defenses don't really have to change week to week. You know, there was this big deal made about um, the chiefs game on Sunday night against the Gus Bradley running his same stuff every week. The chiefs are, 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 are one of the few teams that you should be changing your, your stuff for. But I don't know, you know, the Vikings, okay, yeah, you're going to play more, you know, spin more to, to single high and stuff. But, like, for the most part, you're not changing so much of what you do against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, and that, that's that's true for, like, 20 teams in the league, 25 teams in the league. So, yeah, I think that, I think a big deal of, of, of play calling is finding these, these four to seven plays a game where you have created an explosive play yourself as you a know- play caller. I just really enjoy the discussion about this because with this team specifically, because they're 14th in the league in scoring, it's kind of where they've been for years. And so we're always trying to solve this Rubik's cube of like, well, what if they did this more? Or what if they got this player? What if, you know, so they have a third wide receiver, but they don't have Irv Smith. So they can't play two tight ends that actually scare people. Something named Luke Stocker is playing and had a holding penalty. And that was his contribution. They traded for Chris Herndon for only God knows why, like that you were just like right there kind of blew up one of your main things, which is to put two tight ends on the field and then send guys deep. And uh, Tyler Conklin and Irv Smith can both go deep, but three wide receivers, the other team knows you might go deep. They, they, they prepare for that. They put personnel on the field for that. And I think that impacts it as well. And, and I think that always trying to kind of look at, is it this, is it that, or is it the other thing? And sometimes it's just personnel. Your guards are bad and your center is bad. And that, and that's always been the case with cousins and it's never been solved. And it's always been something that forces him to get rid of the ball too soon. It's just that this year it's happening a lot. Um, so I think that it's like kind of, as Kirk cousins would say in his press conference is a combination of factors. Now, let me ask you something else because you and I had a discussion months ago after the draft 
in which we talked about Mac Jones. And you were not particularly sold on Mac Jones. He's the highest PFF graded. I'm not doing the Chargers thing where I try to rub this in your face. Um, he's the highest because nobody knows and we know that. Uh, he's the highest graded rookie at the moment and is playing really well. And I, I wonder if you think now having seen it that the Vikings should have drafted Mac Jones. Oh, I wasn't expecting that. Uh, no, because I you can't tell me that as the biggest Kirk Cousins fan in the world that they should have drafted <laughs> in the quarterback. So, no, I don't think I don't think so. Now, obviously, the the one thing I would say is obviously you're you're if you're in a world where you you change the contracts, like if you're getting Mac Jones on his contract on the rookie contract versus Kirk Cousins on the big deal, you can't take the you can't separate the player from the contract. Right, so that's a major part of this. Then, then it's obviously no doubt if you were getting him. You know, my thing with Cousins with with Mac Jones was I wasn't sure. I thought the tape was really good. I just didn't know if it was going to translate. And I knew that I, I tell you for sure the tape was better than Tua's and in the same offense. That I knew for sure. That was my one take. Was that my one take was that if Tua went in the in top five, I don't understand why Mac Jones went going to top five. But the take was actually in reverse, which is like Tua shouldn't have gone in the top five, and neither should Mac Jones. But anyways. I, I, but here's the thing. What would be different about besides the contract? Okay, contract. Yes, I 100. But what would be different? What is what are the Patriots doing? They play with a fullback every play now. They run power every play now. Uh, last week in in, the, in this, this clobbering of the of the Cleveland Browns, and obviously you know um, Game State plays a lot into it. There was only one quarterback who threw less. You know, quote unquote, drop back passes than Mac Jones. They threw screens, they threw RPOs, whatever they did. So he's being protected, just like in the good days, Kirk Cousins is being protected. Now, with that said, again, he and Mac Jones has been really good. Like he, the throws he did make were were awesome. Like they really were. Uh, so I, I don't want to take anything away from him, but he's being protected at a super high rate. Players are making plays around him, even though you know we talk about them not having great receiving core. It's been okay, and 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 um, Hunter Henry has been really – he was awesome against the Cleveland Browns. So, yeah, I think it's definitely – like you would take him for the contract, but I don't know if you're getting a drastically different player. But you are getting him 10 years younger, which is good enough. And the, and the contract is good enough. Well, not only that, but what you get is – did we just – I think we got a little joggy there. Uh, but we you get um, – the quarterback that's the same essentially or very similar, but you get Joe Tooney at right guard instead of yeah. Ole Udo. And you get maybe Trey Hendrickson or something rushing the passer instead of DJ Wanham, right? I mean, that that to me is the big difference here because and, and I finally came to this realization a while ago that the discussion about cousins is some people look at it from a team perspective and some people look at it from a player perspective. And I cover the Minnesota Vikings, not one player. And so when we talk about it, we talk about, well, it hasn't really worked. And they have an opportunity to make it work the rest of this season. The season's not over. You're four and five. You got a chance to beat the Packers and go forward. So I don't want to act like that's over. But it's from a team perspective, the contract and the player, when you have to protect the player, as you're talking about, to get the most out of him, or he protects himself by throwing short and things like that. um, Well, if you added these other pieces around it, then you go, well, you can't though. Like you can't just magically create, you can create some cap space. The saints and Vikings are certainly famous for that, but you can't create 
25 million in cap space, which would be the difference between those two quarterbacks. So that was always at the fundamental part of the discussion of why they should have considered Mac Jones more. Uh, they wanted, they've watched an immobile quarterback for four years and they wanted someone who could run around. So they went with Kellen Mond. Uh, they didn't quite have the guts to trade up for Justin Fields. And this is kind of where you end up standing is now once again, trying to solve the Rubik's cube and hoping, can you figure it out enough to make the playoffs, which is not kind of where you really expected to be. Yeah. And I, I think my only thing with that is I obviously I agree with you. Like, you know, if you could, could have went up and got Justin Fields, then, then do it. But the problem, I, I always think this problem and like we're seeing with the Packers now, they're losing years on Jordan Love's contract. Now, I'm not saying Jordan Love is, is going to be a good quarterback. I have no clue. I, I didn't love him coming out of college, but like, whatever they did apparently. But it's like the whole idea is you get a guy right right away, and you don't have this 140 million dollar cap hit on you know on the books already. So that's why I'm like, like I think if you got to find a way to get get a get rid of him before you. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. If, I don't know if they taking a quarterback and then sitting him for a year, and then, and then what if Kirk has a good year? Like like what happened with Rodgers? Like what? Okay, so Rodgers won the MVP. Now you're, you're screwed if you're if you're you just wasted you wasted Jordan Love. Uh, like it, it, of course it's possible he become Jordan Love becomes an elite player and and like we'll look back and say well who cares that he he sat for three years or whatever. But if not, you've just wasted, um, and then you know Rogers leaves, and and if if Jordan Love is Kirk Cousins level, now you only got him for two years or three years on the on the on the rookie deal, like that's like, you, like so now you can't even build. So now now you're you're stuck because you wanted to build this team around the rookie deal quarterback, but you can't even because you're only getting a few years on it rather than the full thing. So like I don't know. I I, I do think. I mean, look at the end of the day, they. Looking at Mac Jones, yeah, they should have just switched. If you can switch Mac Jones in his contract for, for Kirk, then yeah, you do it in, in a heartbeat. But um, yeah, it was always going to be tough for them, I think, to look at that contract and be like, oh, let's just let's just find another player to play with him. You know what yeah. I mean? Let's just find the the tackle to play with Darisaw to play with him. Right. Well, you know, I think that um, to your point, the answer is. Well, Rodgers is is just an MVP, so you know that's sort of different. But Rodgers was kind of playing at a Kirkian level for yeah. a couple of years, and if he had done that again, well, then you feel really good about sitting the guy for a year and having him ready because rookie quarterbacks don't win the Super Bowl anyway. So, but they do come out in their second year after sitting and play well sometimes if they're really good. So the idea would be you sit for a year and you commit to what you're doing unless he wins the MVP and goes to the Super Bowl. That then okay, then it changes things. Then you're fine that you wasted the draft pick because like who cares? Your guy took you to the right. Super Bowl, right? Cares? So yeah. apologize to no one. Uh, but that's why the Alex Smith thing is more comparable here because you have a similarly a very very good quarterback, but it's not quite enough. And then you, even though the guy leads the league in quarterback rating, you still move on because you're like the contract, who you are, it's probably not going to be able to get you there. And so that was my thinking with the the draft at that time. And now having seen Mac Jones play, I agree. It's like, this is Kirk. This is what Kirk cousins looks like only on a rookie contract. And I don't think that new England team is particularly great. I do think that a Vikings team with three more really expensive players probably is really great. So that that's kind of the, the broader thinking, but it's a very complex question, especially when you add in the layer of 
you know, people's jobs and pressure yeah, and all those things. And, and I'm, I, I am sympathetic to that because I think if any of us were coaching for our jobs or GMing for our jobs, we don't draft a quarterback. Of yeah. The future. I think that this idea of always like, well, just blow it up. And it's like, it's like, yeah, that's great when you're playing Madden and you press a button <laughs> right. and simulate to the next season and right. then you're still the GM and the head coach of the team. And that's not always the case. You want to have jobs. Like people want to have jobs. We all need jobs. Uh, and you don't want to lose that job because who knows? Like, look, I, I understand that the NFL coaching is a fraternity and you'll there's a good chance you will find a job that, that's similar to the one you had, but there's no guarantee. And, and you, you just don't want to take – you never want to take that chance. You hold on to these things as much as you can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, blowing up a team and, and saying, hey, uh, you know, it's okay if we go for and whatever and then we'll get a good draft pick in the next year. It's like, you know, you're just not going to – you might not be there next year. No one has sympathy for you when you go 4-12. and 12. So, yeah, I get that 100%. Okay, last thing real quick. Um, is Rodgers worse this year or what's happening there in your opinion? Because, like, PFF grade's not that good – General box score statistics okay. When I've watched him, it's felt it's felt more 2018-ish, 2019-ish than it has like it did last year. Yeah, I haven't watched, I haven't like really watched so much uh Green Bay this season, to tell you the truth. Just my my so my thing is like I think they're just it's just like okay, defense is a lot better this year. So they can they can sit and wait here and they're going to be, they're probably win the division. Obviously this is a big game going to this weekend, but they'll probably win the division. They'll probably get a home game. Good chance. They're going to get the buy as well, especially with Tampa Bay losing again. So like, and the Rams losing again. So like, I, I do think that they can sit and wait. I Rogers does have to probably start playing from the pocket a little bit more. Like you talk about him being like the 2018 version. That was one of the problems. Uh, so, so that that I think will help them a lot going forward. It's just like just keeping the game simple and not trying to be Superman every play. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree. And I mean, you, you have the COVID thing mixed in. You've had injuries. You've had Devontae Adams out for a time. You've had you know now they have Aaron Jones out. So it's sort of not been yeah. as uh, conducive of a team. But I think you know anytime you go into a game with these two quarterbacks, you're saying Rodgers is going to be the better of the two. Um, so anyway. Well, you can follow Seth Galena at PFF underscore Seth. The Too High podcast is terrific, Seth. I'm really glad you guys are doing that. I mean, when did that start? Like a year ago? Um, I feel like you've really caught fire with it, and uh, it's turned into a tremendous show. So thank you for your time. It's always great to catch up with you, and uh, I appreciate your insights, sir. I, I consider you as a, uh, a person who is going to offer – Great insight every time we come on. And I can learn things from you, even about the team that I cover. So I thank you for that. Uh, I Trust me. I mean, I wish we could record the stuff we say before the show because I learned a lot from you as well. <laughs> Mostly just ECHL hockey stuff. It's just ECHL minor, hockey minor league hockey. That's, That's the only thing I was yeah. telling you about before the show. So <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot, Seth. Anytime, dude.